The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us for the next half hour as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Michael O'Connor, the president of Cream Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol CMA and at the U.S. on the over-the-counter bulletin board as CRXMF. Cream Minerals is a precious metals exploration company with a portfolio of five solely owned, highly prospective properties, four in Canada and one in Mexico. Cree's primary focus is its 100% Nuevo Milenio Silver Gold project located in Nayarit State, Mexico. Nuevo Milenio contains a 43-101 compliant inferred mineral resource of 54.6 million ounces silver equivalent. Michael, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Alice. Now, you've had some significant developments in recent days with regard to your Nuevo Millennial property, specifically in the Cafetal Veda Alvidada area. You have very, very significant grades of silver with early results. That's correct. Just to set the background for your listeners, Nuevo Millennial is effectively a multi-deposit property. As we discussed in the previous interview, the mineralization is contained within a collapsed caldera. In the side of the caldera, we have higher-grade underground quartz veins containing gold and silver. And then on the floor of the caldera, we have zones which are lower-grade gold and silver uh, values uh, interspersed with higher-grade silver and gold quartz veins. Just to, to make it really straightforward, the side of the caldera would represent underground mining potential, and the floor of the caldera represents open-pit mining potential. Now, the area that you mentioned, Capital Veda Olivada, is on the floor of the caldera, and it's one of four areas that we've been working on in this last year's drilling program and in prior exploration programs that represent open pit potential. The four areas are Onspokus North, Onspokus South, Veda Olivada Cafetel, and Cerro Chacoaco. Now, to get back to the results from Cafetel Veda Olivada, in 2011, we drilled seven holes. We defined a strike length of 400 meters, and we were focusing on a, a specific vein, obviously the Veda Olivada vein, so we defined a width of about 10 meters. Now, of those seven holes, four holes had very good intercepts of uh, two meters. So each of those intercepts were in excess of 150 grams uh, per ton silver and about 0.6 grams per ton gold, and the, the intercepts are relatively near surface. So in that sense, what we've defined is an area with a strike length of 400 meters, 10 meters wide, with pretty good silver-gold intercepts, then lower-grade breccia in between. At this point, it appears that it has open-pit potential, but of course, like everything else with a mining exploration program, we will have to go back and we will have to do more drilling to better define the area and prove up the grades and also prove up consistency. 
over the strike length. Northern Securities has recently given you a speculative buy rating with a 12-month target price of 47 cents a share based on the resources that you were able to report. That's correct. Not based on this new information, correct? That's correct. Northern Securities initiated coverage in late December, as you said, speculative buy with a one-year price target of 47 cents. And as you said, it's based on the current silver gold resource. It's a 4301 compliant inferred mineral resource. In that report, Northern Securities, well, they talked about cream being relatively undervalued with respect to the net present value defined on a fully diluted basis. They really talked about the potential to expand Nuevo Millennium and future drill programs. They feel that the upside is significant and they feel that's the primary reason why investors who are interested in, in silver gold growth stories should be involved. In addition to Northern Securities, Clara Securities, also out of Toronto, Canada, covers cream in the form of morning notes, and Byron Securities, also out of Toronto, Canada, has recently initiated coverage with a speculative buy rating. Now, in a typical bull market, not necessarily a sideways market that we're in now, for a company in Mexico with the assets you've reported and what you believe you have, additionally, you might be a $2 stock. As a speculator, as someone that invests, I'm thinking when the market rallies again, why wouldn't the stock head up north that far again? You know, I, to be honest with you, I can't see any reason why the stock could not appreciate significantly from current levels. For people who are interested, they can go to our website, www.creamminerals.com, and they can look at the corporate presentation, and towards the end, I think it's slide 20, there's a comparison table. And the comparison table looks at the value of cream's silver resource and compares the value of cream's silver resource with that of other silver exploration companies that are operating in Mexico. What is clearly demonstrated in the comp table is that cream is significantly undervalued. So if we're lucky enough to get back into a a good silver gold bull market, it has the possibility of rallying significantly to close the valuation gap between cream and comparables in Mexico. Hopefully, if those companies appreciate in value, then cream should appreciate in value as well. And cream also has the potential to close the gap between its current valuation and the value per ounce of silver in the ground. Now, the other thing to remember is that we finished a 20,000-meter drill program. We do have a new resource estimate pending by the end of the first quarter of March. So if the resource has even a modest improvement, cream will hopefully represent an even better value. So, you know, your question, why couldn't the share price of cream go significantly higher if we get back into a good silver-gold bull market? I can't see any reason why it wouldn't happen. One of the first questions that I get from everyone, novice and sophisticated investor like Michael, when it's clearly obvious that the silver market is going north, is do you know of any silver opportunities under a dollar or 50 cents? Well, you know, as a president of Cream Minerals, I have a, clearly I have an obvious bias. So, you know, Cream is my first pick. I own quite a lot of Cream shares. My personal viewpoint is that the company is undervalued. But as I said, as the president of the company, I carry an obvious bias. So I would refer people to the research reports by Northern Securities, which states that Cream is clearly undervalued. I would refer them to the research report from Byron Securities, which states that cream is clearly undervalued, and also uh, Clara Securities Morning Notes, which also say that cream is clearly undervalued. And all three say that cream has the potential to significantly grow the resource through future um, exploration programs. Have you purchased shares of your company? Yes, I have. I own 631,000 shares of cream. My intention is to buy more shares in the market, which I will do over time. I also have $2 million options. One million are at 12 cents and they have about another 14 months to go. And then I have another million options at 38 cents.
patents, which have probably got another just probably three years of, to go before they expire. So I have a lot riding on this. And yes, I am in a position where I could make quite a bit of money if, if uh, things go very, very well. But for me, that's not the most important driver. The most important driver for me is to build a very successful company and to see all of the shareholders do very well. If I can do that, I will find that very satisfying. And to be honest with you, it's worth more to me than the money. Well, that is certainly nice to hear and well said. What's interesting to me is recently one of our analysts, Dudley Baker, who follows the trades of company insiders, said, if the company principals or management doesn't have a stake in the game other than options or warrants or what have you, if they haven't purchased stock in their own company, why should anyone else? Options and warrants are free. You know, they are part of a compensation package for everybody in the junior mining, well, for anybody in any uh, publicly traded company. And clearly their purpose is to provide employees and manage with, uh, with the incentive to work even harder. But as I said, they are free. You know, the real test is when management is writing checks and buying shares in the open market. In my opinion, managers wouldn't do that unless they were confident that things were, were going well and that they believe that things would continue to go well. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thanks, Alice. It's my pleasure. I've been speaking with Michael O'Connor, president of Cream Minerals, trading on the Venture Exchange under the symbol CMA.V and on the over-the-counter bulletin board under the symbol CRMXF. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. For more information, visit our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Apogee Silver is a dynamic Toronto-based junior exploration and development company with a strategic focus on advanced-stage silver, zinc, and lead deposits in world-class mineral districts in South America. Apogee's primary focus is the Pulacayo Paca property, located in southwestern Bolivia. Apogee has been advancing the property since 2006 through a joint venture agreement with Golden Minerals Company, formerly Apex Silver. Apogee is also exploring the Cachinal Silver property located in northern Chile. Apogee has a recent share price of 18 cents and is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. I'm Ellis Martin reporting today from the California Investment Conference. I'm with Neil Ringdahl, the president, the chairman of Apogee Silver, trading on the venture as... APE.V and in the US as AGEEF. Neil, welcome to the program. Let's talk about your new oxide results at the Pulakaya project. We've been drilling, we did a drilling program towards the end of last year, about 6,000 meters, along with some surface sampling, and our first results came out earlier this year, and a couple of weeks back we had a press release out on that, and what we're seeing is significant intersections at mineable grades, which is good from my point of view, because I'm a mining engineer. Just to highlight a couple of them 20 meters at 79 grams per ton there's a nine meter at three ounces per ton there is 30 meters at three ounces per ton we're very excited about that and it just opens up the door to us to have a look at the open pit option as well as underground which is where we're a little bit further advanced now this particular mine is a past producer from 1883 to 1959 over 600 million ounces came out of this area making it the second largest silver mine in Bolivian history. What do you hope to do during the next couple of years? Well, we want to get it into production. We're on the cusp of that. In fact, as you know, we've started mining 
a few months back. The idea is to get it up to a thousand ton per day of ore from the underground mine by the end of next year. That will yield very, very significant recoveries because our average grade of the resource is 153 grams per ton, five ounces, and obviously we will be mining at an economic cutoff. We expect to be anything between 200 and 300 grams per ton. Those are very, very large numbers, and what's interesting is we've seen some action in the market recently. I think shareholders, uh, new shareholders, are beginning to respond to the activity that you've been doing down in Bolivia. That's right. We've been focusing on a lot of marketing lately because I didn't think the name was that much out there, and there's a lot of interest in our company because we're a very cheaply priced stock at the moment. When people think of Bolivia, they don't necessarily understand the political economic situation in that country. You work very closely with the state government and the people in that area. That's right, Ellis. We've gained control of the property through a lease agreement by which we pay a 4% royalty. 2.5% goes to the state-owned mining company called Comibor, or Companera Minera del Bolivia, and 1.5% goes to the mining cooperatives of Purocayo, who are informal miners who've been working the, working the uh, deposit over the last few years on an informal basis. And they're very excited about it because being part of the community, it's great that we can actually, and we're also excited about it because the community benefit directly as co-owners of this venture. And to reiterate, this is not an exploration project. This is a mine that's gone into production. Silver is being produced. More silver is going to be produced over a period of time. And the infrastructure has been there for a very long time. That's right. I must just qualify that. We've only just started producing and we're building a stockpile at the moment. But in the near future, we will have secured completed the agreements with a local mill and we'll be doing some custom toll milling which has become increasingly attractive given the grades that we're picking up underground. I'm unable to disclose what they are at this stage apart from that they are attractive. We think that'll be very well received by the market. We're beginning to produce revenues and as we grow the mine, growing the, the local workforce, locally trained workforce, they're new to mining and for that reason we're taking it easy in the development of the mine. We don't want to rush it. We don't want to hurt anybody, and we want to do it the right way. Neil, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, this time in person. Thanks for joining me today at the California Investment Conference. Thanks very much, Ellis. Great to meet you. I've been speaking with Neil Ringdahl, the president and chairman of Apogee Silver, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol APE, and in the U.S. as AGEEF. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, man. I'm Ellis Martin, once again reporting from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, and I'm sitting here with one of our sponsor companies. Companies, Gold Rush Resources, which trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GOD, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX, just type in GDRRF. I'm with Len Brownlee, the president of Gold Rush. Now, you're focused on gold exploration in Burkina Faso, West Africa. Burkina Faso is probably the best place in the world right now to be doing gold exploration. Uh, many people have heard of the gold exploration being conducted in the Yukon Territory in Canada. The problem there is it's only about a three-month field season. Burkina has an 11-month field season. There have been six new mines opened in the last five years, with another four mines that will probably be opened here in the next two to three years. It's very underexplored. It has great geology and just a wonderful place to work. So by field season of 11 months, you mean there's basically no time with the exception of one month that you're shut down? That's variable. Uh, in the north of the country, it's probably less than a month. In the south of the country, closer to the equator, uh, they do have a, a bit longer rainy season. Last year, we drilled right through the rainy season on some of our projects because the rains really didn't affect us. Some areas do, however, get a little bit more rain, and 
there you're looking at probably one month to a maximum of two months that uh, you'd be shut down. Now, Burkina Faso is in West Africa, which is a very prolific area for gold mining. Let's educate our new listeners and enlighten them as to why that's true. Burkina Faso was underexplored historically. It was sort of left alone. It was a former French colony, totally landlocked, a very poor country on the United Nations Development Index, and it just didn't see a lot of exploration. But that didn't mean it didn't have a lot of potential. The amount of greenstone belts, which is one measure of the prospectivity of an area, uh, is higher there than it is in Ghana, Mali, or Niger. And certainly those countries have received much more exploration focused by international companies. Now, that has changed now over the last, say, 10 years. And there have been more and more companies coming into Burkina, and they've been having wonderful exploration success. If you look at Western Australia or the Yukon, the exploration costs per ounce of gold are somewhere around $150 an ounce. In Burkina, they're more likely 10 to $15 an ounce. And, and so you just get a lot more bang for your buck as an explorer in looking for gold in Burkina because it's much easier to find and there's been fewer eyes looking on the ground for it. So it's a much more prospective place to be than pretty much anywhere else in West Africa. Now, last time we talked, you had alluded to some potential news coming out in a few weeks. Well, those few weeks have come by. This just came out a few days ago. You intersected 8.77 grams per ton of gold over 23 meters and 8.34 grams per ton of gold over 6 meters in fill-in drilling at your flagship Ranjin gold deposit. Yeah, that's right. We're very, very pleased with those results. Early stage, to some extent, we are in-fill drilling and looking to update our resource estimate sort of end of the first quarter. So this was infill drilling, but it was also deeper and in areas where we had very little coverage previously. Although interpretation isn't uh, precise at this point, it does look like we've uncovered a cross fault with a deeper lens of higher grade gold. I mean, that 8.7 grams is about a quarter ounce gold. Typical grades in Burkina are on the order of one and a half to two grams. So to get 8.7 gram material is very encouraging. And we still have about 58 holes to announce from the program that we conducted at Rongen. We also have 13 trenches just completed there and results from those. And on top of that, we have another four permits with drill results pending where we think we've at least on one of them, have really uncovered something quite remarkable. Now, compared to your peers, you may be dramatically undervalued and this is the type of company that many investors get into potentially when they're looking for that three or four or five or ten banger they want to find a company that's under a dollar or in your case under 30 cents so that they can hang in for the long term and see some real gains especially when you're compared to some of the peers that exist in that area. I would like to think that Gold Rush would be a very attractive investment at this point. We have an excellent exploration team that has been put in place over the last year or so they have between them 15 to 17 years each, I guess, experience. Our chief geologist, John Learn, has five discoveries in Burkina Faso to his name. Our VP corporate development and our VP exploration are also very experienced guys with ex discoveries to their name. We have a crew of 45 geologists and support workers in Burkina with a fully staffed office. So we're in really good shape in terms of exploration potential and the ability to find gold. We have reasonable capitalization at this point. We've got just so many good projects that we're drilling or have just drilled. So there's really a pipeline of exploration potential, not just one project 
not just a couple of guys. So I'd like to think that that sort of scenario would be attractive to investors because it's more than a one-shot deal. We're going to do well with Rongun. We think that'll become a, a mine at some point. Then as well, we have a pipeline of projects all the way from grassroots to farther advanced. This company is not necessarily new in the business, is it? The original company that is now called Gold Rush was incorporated in 1966. And as is the case in in the resource industry, sometimes they go through some transformations over the years depending on market cycles. Gold Rush itself has been in Burkina Faso for six years and is actually one of the elder statesmen of companies in that country. It was sort of part of the first wave, I guess, of exploration companies into the country that began conducting modern exploration there. And that was about 2006. Yeah, an old company and relatively experienced with regard to Burkina. Subsequent to that, there's been at least two or three waves of exploration companies from Australia and Canada who have come to to Burkina and are picking up the third and fourth level permits. We think we've got some of the best permits in the country at this point. Let's look ahead a year or two. What are your plans for the company? Number one, to advance the Rongwin deposit to the feasibility stage and take it through feasibility with the concept being that we'd like to have a a going concern mining operation, open pit heap leach mining operation at Rongen. And number two, to advance as many of our other targets as possible to in a more advanced state, whether it be pre-feasibility or feasibility. And these things will take two to three years, but the prospectivity of the ground there and the ease in finding gold is such that it's not improbable or impractical for that sort of timeline to be followed. So those are our two main objectives. And I think along the way, as we demonstrate more ounces in the ground and partnerships with larger companies, etc., these will be the sorts of milestones that should lead to an increase in share value. And that's ultimately what our goal is for our shareholders, to give them the best value possible. Well, Len, we certainly do appreciate you being a sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Let's look for some more developments from you in the future. Thank you very much for joining us today in the program. Thanks very much, Ellis, for the opportunity. We look forward to some good news coming out in the next month. I've been speaking with Len Brownlee the president of Gold Rush Resources. Gold Rush trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol G-O-D and in the U.S. on the OTCQX. Just type in G-D-R-R-F or you can find them on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Scott Drever, the president of Silvercrest Mines, which trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STVZF. Silvercrest Mines is a Mexican precious metals producer with headquarters based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Their flagship property is the 100% owned Santa Elena Mine, which is located northeast of Hermosillo in the prolific state of Sonora, Mexico. The mine is a high-grade epithermal gold and silver producer. The company anticipates that the 2,500 tons per day facility should produce an average of approximately 800,000 ounces of silver and 30,000 ounces of gold per full production year from the open pit heap leach operation. I'm Ellis Martin today reporting from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm up here with the president of Silvercrest Mines, that's Scott Drever. Silvercrest trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX, just type in STVZF. Scott, nice to see you again. Seems like just a few days ago we were in Beverly Hills and now we're in Vancouver. How are you? I'm really well, Ellis, and thanks for having me again. 
Now, you've had some developments with respect to La Jolla that you alluded to when we spoke last in December. What's been happening in La Jolla? Well, I think in December when we spoke, we were in the midst of doing a resource calculation for La Jolla, our initial resource. We got that work done, and we did the release, at least the press release, on the summary results of that, which showed that we have 109 million ounces of silver equivalents in an inferred category. That's a game changer, I'd like to say maybe you're not saying it, but it's a definitely a game changer. And what's the next step with regard to La Jolla then? Certainly, I think your words are reasonably well chosen. It's, it's significant for us, and it has the earmarks of being significant in the mining industry. We, of course, tested only a small portion of the potential area with that result of uh, 109 million ounces of silver equivalent. And we are anxious, of course, to uh, look at the remainder of the potential area. And so we've embarked on a, um, an 80-hole program. We have one drill rig that has been running there since early December, and we have two more drill rigs lined up to go in here shortly. Now, I should review for those that are hearing about your company for the first time that you're a producer in the silver and the gold space with regard to your flagship project, Santa Elena. That project is financing a lot of your present and future operations, isn't it? Yes, it is. We started the uh, Santa Elena Mina last year. We've reached pretty much steady state. It's an open pit heap leach operation that last year on a, on a partial production year we produced, I think it was 20, almost 27,000 ounces of gold and about 430,000 ounces of silver. So that is providing us with a nice stable uh, cash flow platform that will enable us to uh, do the expansion plan that we have on tap at Santa Elena to uh, double the production over the next three years and allow us to do aggressive uh, exploration work on a project like La Jolla. Now, you really weren't affected at all, at least not drastically. You saw some share price growth. I believe the value of your stock increased by about 35 to 40 percent during October, November, uh, pulled back just a little bit in November. Compared to your peers, that's a tremendous growth. But what do you think is responsible for that? Well, I think it's uh, just a progression of things and us doing what we said we would do. We said we would be in production uh, on time and on budget, and we were. We said our production would be a certain number of ounces, and we're hitting those targets. So those things are online, and that helps, of course, if you have cash flow that you don't have to go back to the equity markets, then, of course, that helps stabilize your price, I think, as well. Now, you had a couple of research analyst reports that have come out within the last year or so that had your share price value at double what it is now within the next 12 to 16 months, but that valuation was done before this latest report. Do you think that will change? Yeah, the two uh, analysts that have put out reports on us, one is Stuart McDougall out of Jennings in Toronto, and the other is Nick Campbell out of uh, Canaccord Genuity here in Vancouver. As you say, they've both picked target numbers that are about double our $2.25 share price at the moment, and I would encourage your, your listeners to uh, check with those particular uh, companies to to look at those reports. They did include some minor values, I think, for the La Jolla. And as we move forward, of course, those will probably change upwards as we go forward. Now, you're fairly tightly held, too. We don't have 250, 300 million shares out there, do we? Our outstanding and issued right now at the moment is about 87.5 million, I think. Fully diluted, we're just under 100 million, which compared to a lot of companies, as you point out, is not a lot. And over the course of the past few months, I haven't seen a lot of hostile activity either related 
related to your stock. Hostile in that you mean uh, selling off of the stock? No, it it looks like some accumulation going on, and obviously we're bumping around our all-time highs. So if we can establish that base uh, above $2, uh, then that gives us a real nice platform to move uh, upwards from their pending uh, positive results from uh, Santa Elena and La Jolla. Now, one of the analysts I interview is David Morgan, and he has silver hitting $60 an ounce sometime during this year, 2012. Of course, that can't be bad news for your company. It's got to be good news if fact that does happen. Yeah, I know David and I've interviewed with him a couple of times and his $60 number isn't outside of my belief system. Probably a base of of $29 for silver is is pretty decent. I don't anticipate it being at 60 and staying there. Uh, I would think probably, you know, overall an average of 40, 45 somewhere there, but to hit 60 wouldn't surprise me a bit. Can I ask you what the cost of production per ounce is for Silvercrest? We're still in a bit of a ramp-up mode here. We're almost to steady state where we can put a hard number on those. But our last year numbers are up until the third quarter of last year. We were seeing something in the order of 750 an ounce of uh, silver equivalent. So we've got very, very good margins at Santa Elena. What are you going to be doing during the next 12 months? We've started on, a, on an expansion program, as I mentioned, uh, at Santa Elena. That entails putting in a conventional mill. We're doing underground development. Uh, we started the decline here last week and that'll be going through 2012. We're doing a pre-feasibility study on a satellite deposit cruise de mile. Of course we're going to be very aggressive on uh, La Jolla to uh, turn around a second resource estimate after we finish this 80-hole program. Well Scott it's always a pleasure to meet with you and speak with you. I've been speaking with the president of Silvercrest Mines, Scott Drever. Again, Silvercrest trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX, easily found. Just type in STVZF from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Scott Drever, thanks for joining us today. Find a link to the Silvercrest website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored in part by Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Tanzanian Royalty's Buck Reef Project is an advanced-stage gold project currently in feasibility in Tanzania with a commercial production target approximately 30 months away. With $30 million in their treasury, the company is prepared to further explore and develop the property. The president of the Tanzanian Royalty is renowned commodities expert Jim Sinclair. Visit our website, TanzanianRoyalty.com. That's TanzanianRoyalty.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants, trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling, and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be here, Ellis. You're a fan of baseball, aren't you? Yes, sir. Are we in the seventh inning right now? I think we're damn near there. A little pause that we've had here, consolidation in gold, you know, from about 1700 to the 1750 or so range. As we speak, we're breaking out. We're having a, having a good day here. Almost want to equate this whole thing. We've got more homework to do on this subject, but I'm almost thinking we're in the seventh inning stretch, or maybe just wrapping up the seventh inning stretch, and then heading into the final leg of this bull market. I'm excited here today for a couple of different reasons, okay? So if we've got new people listening to this, please 
visit our website, preciousmetalswarrants.com, because we offer a lot more than just warrants and a lot of opportunities. So if you like what we're talking about and where I see the market's going, we're giving you names of, of companies that I personally own, some doing very well today, and I want to talk a little bit about that. So don't let the name Precious Metals Warrants fool you, okay? Come because we got a lot of great opportunities for you. To revert back to the seventh inning stretch, you know this bull market we started in, what, 2001? We've been on a long run. Now we're here at the beginning of 2012, so whatever this is, 11 years or so. For the last almost two years, I've had a projected date in my mind, basically based on Fibonacci dates, etc. here, the 3, 5, 8, 13, 21s, etc. And I'm still holding to that at the moment to January, February of 2014, so roughly two years from, say, right now. This would almost equate to the last 20% of the time as we're entering this time phase. And almost the same with the seventh inning stretch, and now we're going into the, the final uh, of the game here. And, you know, they've always said in, in bull markets, 80% of the gains are going to be made in the last 20% of the time. And so I think we're entering very close here to this last 20% of the game, and this is when you definitely want to be on board. The last 20% is going to happen uh, very quickly, but very quickly meaning throughout the next year and a half, two years or so. And, of course, as we progress along this road, it'll get probably the, a parabolic rise will develop, and we'll get a lot more of that move in the later stages here. But, you know, this all has to start at some point. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to be rich. We need months and we need a year or two. We need this, this thing to build again equate this to the internet bubble you know it didn't happen overnight this happened over a period of time and now we're way down the road in terms of time and i think once you know the real kicker for everybody's going to be as soon as gold gets up to where we can take out the old high that we hit up around that 1930 you know last year we take the silver out again over that 50 then i think everybody will start to see it's game on. So that's my feeling here today is, and I've been anticipating this, that we're getting closer and closer to this last 20% starting and this parabolic rise will be in front of us here. And good times for all of us. The issues in the world are not going to go away. I just think with all of the fiat currencies in the world, we just have to make a decision that gold is where investors need to be and they need to be patient. So we are looking to establish you know, some good positions and ride this wave and capture some great gains here over this you know this next uh, say year or two but by no means to get in and out i was happy to see the individuals turned on he's excited about the company and there was never a reason for him not to be excited maybe he thought we were going to have a short-term down move or something in the markets and he exited and now he's coming back and now he's going to be buying as the stock is breaking out I just have to kind of laugh. As you know, it's almost like every week or so that we talk, what am I saying? Patience. And I think this is what we still are going to need. Well, there's a lot of emotion involved instead of logic. Well, there really is. Not only the analyst, but every individual investor. Getting comfortable in your own skin and what can you tolerate and not tolerate, but truly get comfortable with what do you think is the big picture. Do you see what I see of substantially higher prices a year or two years from now? If so, 
you know, you hold your portfolio and you be patient, this will come to pass. If you're uncomfortable with what you're doing, if you just have no conviction, then it's going to be real easy for you to get panicked out of your positions here. Or you see one analyst that's saying, well, I sell and, and now they're flip-flopping you and now they're coming back in. Well, I know it has to be frustrating for most uh, investors uh, around the world, especially my guys. If I don't know the case that where I've chosen to exit a position and then we're coming back in. I may have sold a little bit from time to time, but always maintain a core position and may, may come back in at lower prices if the markets come down and we fill that position back in again. But to have totally exited a position, I wouldn't say I would never do that, but it's never going to be on a, in a few weeks or, or probably even a couple of months. There's going to have to be a substantial reason. There'll be a substantial reason, number one, why we exit the position. But number two, is going to have to be, be even a better reason to cancel out our, our sell and now to say we're coming back in. Anyhow, it's been, a, it's been an exciting day for me. So several of our shares and, uh, and shareholders, uh, subscribers will know that uh, you know, a lot of our shares are up uh, pretty good today. And it's really comforting to see uh, where gold's having a pretty good day and silver's at least back over 34. And we got a lot of the silver companies that are really performing well today. Speaking of silver companies, and I guess I shouldn't mention a name in this interview, but it's one of our client companies, and they're doing business in Mexico. And we, we talked about you by name in my last interview with them. I asked the CEO straight out, the president of the company, I said, you know, this is all fine and dandy, but do you own shares in the company? And if you do, well, you, you do own shares in the company, but are you buying shares? Have you bought shares? And he says, matter of fact, I have bought shares. I've got a substantial amount of shares, and I'm continuing to buy shares. Good, and good. then I, I referred to uh, my, my interview with you where we discussed uh, somebody having a skin in the game other than options and warrants. No, that's good. And, and that response that you got from that, uh, the president of the company, that's, that's what you want to hear. Now, in, in my case, what it is, a lot of times, it's the old investigator in me, Ellis. I just don't take anybody at face value. So I have access to all that information through uh, like a commercial service that I have where I follow all the insider activity. When five minutes, I know what they own. I know if somebody says, well, yeah, Dudley, I just recently bought. I said, well, okay, I'm going to know this for a fact in five minutes. So if this is not true, you know, we're going to know differently. I love to be up on the top of these things. But you're exactly right, is that you want to be with those companies where management, where the insiders believe in their own story. And if they don't believe in their own story by having skin in the game and having a, a rather substantial share position, then shame on them. There are more companies that our listeners would want to believe where the top officers own little or no shares outright. They may have some stock options, but that is not skin in the game. They'd be drawing $100,000, $200,000 a year salary. So they're basically salaried employees with stock options, but what have they got? They've got no substantial monies. I want to see those guys with some serious, their, their own personal capital on the line. They're in bed with this just like us. You know, I've seen so many positions like, you know, and I'm looking at, at what meager positions that the insiders have and thinking, if I bought shares in that company, I would own a lot more stock than the officers, than the insiders. Now, would that make any sense to anybody? Of course not. We've got to keep this thing in balance. So it's just something, and I know there's not many in the business that follow, that track the insider activity. And so I'm proud to that we do religiously for our subscribers. 
I'd sure like a list of all those companies that uh, that you mentioned where the CEOs are not buying their own stock, and I'd like to post it on my website. No, I'm not going to do that, but it sure would be <laughs> should be interesting, wouldn't it? Well, that would sure liven up the conversation. I tell you, no, no, for for you know, I know a couple of analysts that again, I think I've mentioned this before that are that are big on this one company, you know, and institutions own uh, 50 to 60 percent, and the insiders have little to no position in the company. Now, what is that all about? How can you get excited about that? How can another person in the business get excited about that company? It's because they don't have a clue. The other analysts are not doing their homework, complete homework, like I am. They can look at a lot of drill results. They can look at all the properties. They can look at what they deem to be good management. Well, what's good management if management doesn't own stock in the company? And I feel like we're getting better and better and better in this every day. And what does that mean to the listeners? It means we're giving value to our subscribers. And this is what it's all about to me. When this party's over, I want a lot of people, and I know this will happen because it's, it's, it's happened already in the past, to say, Dudley, great job. You led us into some incredible opportunities here. We've made a lot of money, and I know that's happened in the past, and it's going to happen more and more as this party really gets started again. Again, the website is PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dudley. Thanks, Ellis. Always a pleasure. Joining me now for an interview with Andrew Hoffman, Marketing Director for MilesFranklin.com. Miles Franklin Limited is one of the largest full-service discount brokers for gold and silver bullion, platinum and palladium, and numismatics in North America. Mr. Hoffman was a buy-side and sell-side analyst working on Wall Street at Solomon Smith Barney, for the last 10 years, his focus was entirely centered on the metals market, primarily gold and silver. Previous to joining Miles Franklin, he worked as a consultant to junior mining companies. He writes a daily blog found on the milesfranklin.com website simply called Ranting Andy, and we're pleased to have him as a regular guest on the Ellis Martin Report. This interview was conducted Thursday, February 29, 2012. Andy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Ellis. I take it from what I extrapolated from Bernanke yesterday, and you know it's hard to follow him. I've got to admit, you really have to be a decipher of layers and layers of who knows what to figure out what he's saying, not to be disrespectful, but I take it that we're just finishing up or starting to quote in your words to put together a paper printing orgy. Right. Well, it's not so much that he's the person that's difficult to understand. It's all the spin that gets put around it. You know, we're talking about specifically yesterday. The spin is that gold went down because of what he said, but... In fact, what he said was absolutely nothing different. And I, I mean, literally, I mean, he said nothing different than they said a month ago. The fact that he said we've got the only thing he changed his comments where there have been some diverging points regarding the uh, the production outlook and the employment outlook, specific for referring to last month's bogus employment report, was kind of after the fact used as a you know, a causation of why gold was hit. And the fact was gold was hit because gold and silver were about to break out last week, particularly silver, and they had another one of their coordinated attacks, which I've called the Leap Day Violation, which uh, not uncoincidentally was at exactly 10 o'clock a.m., which is their favorite time to attack. That's when the physical market closes for the day. So I wouldn't worry too much about what Bernanke says. He said it all uh, a month ago when he said we're going to do QE to infinity uh, out to at least 2015. I think you mentioned the cartel, and by the cartel, are you equating that to the big banks? Yes. Well, actually, I'm really equating it to the U.S. government. If you want to go on a bigger picture to the Western governments trying to, you know, to control all the money and the power in the world, but the U.S. government leads that. Those banks are really just their henchmen, you know, the J.P. Morgans and the Goldman Sachs. It's kind of like this 
symbiotic, you know, where you have a parasitic disease. They both need each other. The, the politicians need the lobbying funds from Goldman Sachs. J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs need the political power. So together, they have a plunge protection team that supports the stock markets. They control the Federal Reserve, so they control uh, the bond market. They control the exchange stabilization fund, and thus the currency markets, and of course, this gold cartel to suppress the precious metals prices. Is Bernanke the cartel spokesperson? No, he's... Uh, in, in fact, I, I almost think that the Federal Reserve is, uh, is, is a puppet of these higher forces from the banks. Because uh, let's face it, the Federal Reserve is owned. I mean, it's a chartered bank owned by these companies. Most people don't realize that. So, yes, he certainly knows what's going on, but he's not the top player in the game. Now, to some listeners, this might sound like pure conspiracy theory, but that's not where you're coming from. No. I've been a financial analyst my entire life. I'm a CFA. I worked on Wall Street for as a sell-side analyst 10 or 15 years. I back things up with numbers. I've gotten all this from the findings of GATA, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And, uh, you know, in time, I've built a database of this stuff, which I've been publishing on a daily basis for years. People like to throw around the term conspiracy theory just kind of to denigrate people. It's almost like saying gold's a barbarous relic. It's not based on anything. The conspiracy is true. It's been admitted many, many times. There's plenty of proof from not only admissions, but just from uh, the math that shows what they're doing. And look, let's face it, everyone knows that every other market is manipulated because they admit it, like, you know, QE or or the, you know, the working president's working group on capital markets. This is the only one that they don't want to admit because it's the linchpin of the whole system. The fact is that precious metals have been suppressed forever. There was a thing called the London Gold Pool, which did the exact same thing as the cartel's doing now. They did it in the 1960s, and eventually it was broken by demand. This time they're doing the same thing. They just don't admit that they're doing it. Is the suppression, in your opinion, politically motivated, and will it be successful in 2012? Uh, Well, yes, it's politically motivated. It's the ultimate battle that goes back centuries between real money and paper money. Because paper money is what gives governments power. It enables them to uh, give entitlements to anyone they want so they can get votes. It enables them to get any spending plans they want through. It enables them to make powerful friends and to keep their power base. Uh, Physical money, gold and silver, does not allow them to do that because you can only print as much money as there is gold. So it's been the enemy of uh, governments forever. And it's been tried, you know, dozens and dozens of times, if not hundreds of times, these fiat standards, for the same reason, power, and every single time they fail. This one, like all the others, is failing. It's now 41 years old uh, since we've gone on to this, not just uh, one country money standard, we're on a, a fiat standard for the entire world. Obviously, it's not working because we're seeing massive, massive debts everywhere. We're seeing massive inflation everywhere. And of course, even with the suppression, the price of gold has gone up seven or eight times. I understand the Korean government is printing a lot of fake U.S. dollar. How is what this government is doing, or the Fed doing, how is this not the same sort of fraud? Well, it is the same fraud. And that's the beauty of having an entire world on a fiat currency standard. Every single government is printing money at will because there is no backing to what they're doing. Now, of course, the Korean government can't impact the world that much because very few people use uh, Korean won for transactions. But, you know, some of the countries we have seen destroy their currencies just recently. We've seen it in, in Hungary, in Argentina, in uh, Zimbabwe. This is just that has happened in the last few years. I put out a piece maybe a week or two ago called Fiat Failure, where I documented all of the, just the modern era 
collapse as a fiat currency. And you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it's literally happened in almost every country. It's happened three times in the United States, and people wouldn't realize it. The continental currency was destroyed by the Revolutionary War, the Confederate dollar by the Civil War, and the greenback, which was the northern dollar in the Civil War, created by Abraham Lincoln, a fiat dollar, was about to be destroyed when the war ended. So otherwise, we would have lost three currencies. Is it destined to happen again? Yes, it's, it's it's happening right now. It's just a matter of pace. I mean, you know, things like yesterday, to me, you know, just show how close we are to the end. I document the attacks like yesterday constantly. They're becoming more intense and more concentrated, meaning the intervals between such efforts are decreasing. Yet the price of gold is still sitting in the 1700s, meaning they're getting diminishing returns for all these attacks. And the fact is, you look around at the reality of what's going on with the debts of the world, with the economies of the world, with the inflation of the world, and it's just a matter of time. And it's not, oh, it's going to be, you know, three or five years. No, this is happening now. 2012, 2011 was a major year for changes. Obviously, 2008 was. And I believe 2012, before the year's over, you're going to see some, some major, major changes in the way people view the world's economies. Are you referring to, in part, the price of gold and silver? One of our other contributors, Jim Sinclair, has predicted for 2012 a $1,700 to $2,100 an ounce figure for gold. Are you in line with that, or do you see it going even higher before December 31st? Well, I'm a little careful with predictions at a certain time because so many variables, including like what you saw yesterday, are in play. But I, I certainly am on record based on my technical and fundamental analysis of believing that we're going to be setting new all-time highs later this year. Certainly $2,000 gold and $50 silver look like no-brainers to me. But, you know, could these things be March? Could they be December? It's hard to tell. Could it even get to next year? You just never know. But I am hard-pressed to believe that we're not going to be challenging gold's all-time high from last August, you know, in the next three to six months, if not sooner. Now, when I see a pullback of the kind we saw yesterday, and having had extensive conversations with David Morgan about the price of silver, and I bought a bunch of it when it was under 30. Unfortunately, I didn't do so when it was under 10. When there's a contraction based on fluffy, superficial news more or less put out by the cartel, boy, do I sound like I have an attitude today. When I hear something like that, I want to contact Miles Franklin and stock up on bullion. Well, that's right. And again, you know, it didn't contract based on news. It was violently attacked with naked shorting. The, the evidence is there. Again, people say conspiracy. The evidence is there. There were contracts that traded 375 million ounces worth of paper silver right at the time Bernanke started speaking. You know, and that's when silver fell $3 in, in a matter of uh, half an hour, 45 minutes. That's a half of all of the physical silver production of the entire world for six months. So it had nothing to do with the news. Bernanke said nothing. I mean, if this was more of a fear of, you know, look, you saw gold and in particular silver really starting to break out. Earlier that day, you had the LTRO in Europe of 530 billion euros just printed and given out to banks, a major monetary inflation event, and so they attacked. And, you know, maybe it takes a week to get back where we were, maybe it takes a month, but we'll be right back there again, and then we will challenge those highs. And, you know, I believe that very strongly in the, the impact of psychological numbers, and I know the cartel does too, because that 2,000 gold, and $50 silver are looming right in front of everyone's eyes. The banks themselves are doing the naked shorting. Well, look, naked shorting simply means selling something you don't own. Because, you know, the concept of shorting was obviously created by the banks way back when just to get commissions, you know, because they figured, oh, well, if the people have stocks in the bank, we can have other people borrow those stocks, and then they'd have to pay us.
gets an interest rate, a margin interest rate to borrow those stocks, and then we'd get a commission on shorting it and then covering their shorts. But that was way back when, when it actually was legitimate. I've never been a big fan of the concept, but it was legitimately done. Now we're at the point where particularly the big banks, are naked shorting, meaning they're not borrowing the stock. They are just putting in sell orders. And when it comes to the precious metals, whether you're talking about the mining shares or the paper gold like GLD and the futures contracts like at the comic, this is pure, pure naked shorting. Wouldn't it be great if you could just have an unlimited license to put in as many orders as you wanted? If you wanted to own, let's say, Tanzanian royalty and you wanted to go up, you had the ability to buy all the shares that you wanted and never have to put up the money. Or if you wanted it down, you could short all the shares you wanted and never have to borrow the shares to get them. That's what naked shorting is. And there is no sector that you see it more than precious metals. So the banks can never back it up. They don't have enough gold. No, not even close. You know, it's been admitted by some of the cartel apologists that the paper, silver, and gold markets are hundreds, if not thousands times larger than the real market behind them. And that's what they want you to do. They want people to, if they're going to buy gold, they want them to think that things like GLD are actually gold. They're pieces of paper that are, the custodians are the very same people who are trying to manipulate I mean, the fact that SLV, the custodian is J.P. Morgan, who's being sued by half the planet for naked shorting silver, should show you how untrustworthy these kind of paper funds are. You mentioned the word people, Andy. We've been talking about all these institutions as if they're institutions, and they are, but they're made up of people. What people are benefiting from all of this? Very few. And when they say the 1%, I think that's highly overestimating it. This is a topic I write about constantly, about human nature and how it is that these people that are at the top of these food chains can get this way. And I'm not talking about Bernie Madoff people. I'm talking about way, way above Bernie Madoff people, the Bilderbergs, the people who are the top politicians and some of these bankers. A guy like Mario Monti, the guy who's been you know installed to run Italy. He's from Goldman Sachs. Uh, he's from the Trilateral Commission. I don't know where they get these people, but these are the type of the people who are benefiting. All the banks who are receiving the ZERP, the zero interest rate policy money, the top executives there, they're benefiting a big way. And all the politicians that get the lobbying funds, such as Obama's administration, Mitt Romney's campaign, George Bush's, you name it, that's who's benefiting. The rest of the people get nothing. There is not a conspiracy theory. There's only truth. Yeah, and much of it is documented. What are we going to do with all this information in our heads? Right. Okay. Well, precious metals is the only real money, and I, I can't emphasize enough that precious metals is not an investment. I mean, paper precious metals is. If you're buying GLD or a stock, that certainly is. But if you're buying the metals, you have to think of it as real money. And Miles Franklin, we are one of the biggest bullion dealers in America. Our job is to help you to purchase precious metals. And if you would like to store them, we have storage facilities in both uh, the United States and Canada. Talk to me about Ranting Andy. I'm from New York. I live in Denver now. But I spent 15 or 20 years as a Wall Street analyst. I did everything. I was a broker, a sell-side analyst, buy-side analyst. I left that business 2005 because it disgusted me. I spent most of my career at Solomon Smith Barney. I saw all the corruption, saw all the, uh, the conflict of interest, and I also, back in 2002, became 100% uh, invested in precious metals. When I left Wall Street in 2005, I just taught myself the business, and I've been working for mining companies uh, as a consultant or an investor relations officer up until this year uh, when I joined Miles Franklin. As far as ranting Andy, I've been writing, got since 2006 or 2007, a free blog just to educate people 
about protecting themselves against uh, the things I'm talking about here. It's not about recommendations. It's not about stocks. It's not about anything other than helping to protect people. And now that I'm at Miles Franklin, I can do it through this major platform. And Miles Franklin, you know, we have a meeting of the minds. David Schechtman, who started the firm 20 years ago, he still writes a daily blog every day, and he, he thinks exactly as I do about the benefits of educating people about this sector, which has so much propaganda surrounding it. One final question, Andy. What are we going to do with all this gold and silver bullion that some of us are collecting when the currency collapses? We're not going to want to turn it back into cash. What are we going to do with it? This is the kind of thing where people are always saying, well, what if this, what if that? And the fact is, we all know that what's coming ahead is going to be unprecedented. What we're seeing today is unprecedented, but what's coming ahead is going to be more so. Now, can I say that we're going to have a, quote, currency collapse where every, in one day everything is gone? Is it going to be more gradual? Will we bomb Iran and we'll have a world war? I mean, I don't know. But I do know this. There is no scenario going forward in which the value of paper money, particularly the U.S. dollar, is going to be higher or which the value of precious metals is going to be lower. I want to cross that bridge when I get it, because when I get to that bridge, I assure you that precious metals are going to be worth more and the dollar's worth less. The website is milesfranklin.com. Ranting Andy Hoffman's blog is free and easy to access. Thanks so much for joining me today, Andy. Thanks for having me. Find a link to milesfranklin.com or the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.